Hi, and welcome to the West Visalia Audio Podcast. Each message is designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button, and don't be shy to drop us a message if you have a question. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Well, good morning again. It's good to see everyone that's here, and more and more as more people are able to come back out and be with us in person. That's wonderful. And for those that are tuned in online, it's good to to see you tuned in on there and to see your names pop up and in the comments. We definitely appreciate that too. I want to start with a question this morning, and our sermon today is going to work kind of kind of backwards a little bit, and how I'm going to approach this. We're going to get into our text that we're going to be covering later on after I establish some groundwork here today. But I want to ask a question. The question is about fasting. Please don't answer it out loud. The Bible says you're not supposed to brag about your fasting. But how many of us have ever fasted? And not maybe before surgery or, or because of something like that, but because of, of spiritual purposes you decided to fast. I would say that probably there's a very large portion of us that, that haven't done that, although the Bible does talk a lot about fasting. Um, you have Paul fasting, Jesus fasted, you have um, discussions about, you know, different types of fast and so on in Scripture. And I bet you there's probably a lot of reasons why people don't engage in them. They're a challenge. It's, it's not something culturally that we do as much, whereas um, religious fasts were something that maybe were more common in the East or not as common in, in the West, but it is very much biblical. But I was thinking about this idea of fasting and and wrapping my mind around some of the benefits of it and things like that. Of course, there's the idea of spending more time focused on spiritual matters. In the Bible, when someone fasted, then they usually spend time in prayer instead. And you're kind of supplementing that time that you usually spent fasting with a spiritual pursuit like prayer and study, meditation, that kind of idea. But also on top of that, what would be the benefit to fasting? And I'm not talking about from a a physical standpoint. I know that there's diets like intermittent fasting and things like that, but that's not what we're talking about. But from a, a spiritual, mental, and emotional standpoint, is there benefits to fasting? I, I would think, yeah, there is. I think the idea of if you fasted and you chose to mentally overcome your hunger and not eat for a set amount of time, that practice of self-discipline and self-control helped you grow spiritually. And this idea of practicing self-control is very much biblical. For example, Proverbs 21, or sorry, 25, in verse 28, it says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. If you don't have self-control, it's like your your whole life can fall apart in front of you. And I think a lot of us struggle when it comes with self-control. That's probably why a lot of us haven't ever fasted. I mean, or we don't stick to a diet plan, right? Because we don't have a lot of self-control. I can't tell you how many times Zinnia has baked cookies and they come out of the oven and she says, you have to wait, they have to cool, and I don't have self-control, and there I am trying to eat a mushy cookie that's falling apart and burning my hand, right? Because we lack self-control, but yet the Bible holds up self-control as a virtuous behavior. In fact, I think you can prove from Scripture throughout Old and New Testament that self-discipline and self-control are behaviors that are virtuous, they are good. There, there's a higher standard of living there if you can be a person who practices self-discipline and self-control. Other passages prove it. For example, Paul told the young preacher Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, and Timothy's wanting to quit, he's wanting to give up. Paul tells him, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control or discipline. 
is another way of translating that word. God wants us to be disciplined people who live disciplined lives. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, says, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Paul says, I practice self-control in all things because if not, it might mess up my preaching. Proverbs 6.6 6 says, go to the ant, O sluggard, or lazy person. In fact, the message translation, which I'm not a big fan of the message translation, but it said, go to the ant, O lazy bones, which I like that. But go to the ant, O lazy bones, right? Consider her ways and be wise. Ants are disciplined creatures. You watch how they work. They don't stop. They don't care if your foot's in the way. They'll walk right over it, carrying what they're going to carry, and they get the job done. They live disciplined lives. Self-discipline and self-control are virtuous behaviors. And this is true from even just a secular standpoint as well. And if you look at the people that are the most successful people in life, that get things done, that accomplish different feats, they're people that live very disciplined lives. They're not people who live lives of chaos. They're not people who live lazy lives or, or uncontrolled lives. They're people who discipline themselves. I came across a list on, on a website about, you know, psychology and stuff, but it said, here's 10 things um, that discipline, highly disciplined people have in common. And you might be thinking, what does this have to do with the Bible? We're going to come to it in a second, but I'm proving my point backwards here a little bit. But here's 10 things that highly disciplined people have in common. Number one, they commit. And what, what they mean by that is this, they're people that you can depend on. If they say they're going to do something, they do it. If they say they're going to be there at a certain time, they're there at that time. And you know what? Jesus talked about that too, didn't he? When he said, let your yes be yes and your no's be no's. The idea that you are a trustworthy person. Highly disciplined people are people that commit to things and stick to their commitments. Number two, they avoid temptation. Now this is written from a not a biblical standpoint, this article. But yet the idea was the things that they fall into, maybe they're trying to stick to a diet plan. If they are tempted to eat muffins, they don't buy a package of muffins at Costco, right? I mean, that's the idea. They avoid temptation. Number three, they take care of themselves. Highly disciplined people make sure they live, you know, a healthy lifestyle so that they can continue doing the things that they want to do. Number four, they work on developing habits. We might call those spiritual disciplines, right? Spending a habit of daily Bible study, a habit of daily prayer, a habit of daily evangelism. That's what successful people do. They develop habits. Number five, they set boundaries. They put limitations on themselves. I will not do this. You know, in, in an exercise routine, I'm a big proponent of you set a goal with it and you force yourself to reach that goal, even if it's arbitrary. If I'm gonna get on the elliptical machine, I'm gonna set the timer, and even though I'm bored, I'm gonna make sure I reach that time. I put 10 minutes, I'm not gonna stop at 9.58 because I set a goal, right? You set boundaries. Number six, they revel in routine. See, disciplined people have routines and they set up these benchmarks and systems in their lives to be successful. You think about Jesus. He had a routine where when there's time away, he'd go to a quiet place and pray. Number seven, they lead with their mind over their mood. You know what idea? You don't just let your emotions and your desires control you. That's biblical. Number eight, they clearly define their goals. Well, we want to get to heaven. That's a goal, right? Number nine, they live and die by deadlines. You might be going, what does that mean? From a, a practical standpoint, give yourself deadlines. I will have this done at this point, and you'll get it done. 
And then number 10, to keep their eye on the prize, and we know our prize is Jesus Christ. And again, you might be thinking, that's all fine and good, Cliff, in the workplace, but what does that have to do about Scripture? The biblical, or it is biblical, and I think we're going to prove it here this morning, it is biblical to live a disciplined life. It's beneficial in the world, but it's even more so beneficial when it comes to Christianity. Now, let me prove it to you. Acts chapter 18. We've been going through the book of Acts on Sunday mornings for the past, oh, several months since we kind of came back in person, and we're going through the ministry of the Apostle Paul right now. If you're new to the Bible, and you might be thinking, what's the book of Acts all about? Well, the Bible is divided up into an Old and New Testament. The Old Testament deals with kind of the Jewish people and the time leading up to Jesus. Um, The New Testament talks about the life of Jesus and then what his followers did after he died. And the book of Acts is a history book of the actions of the early church, specifically a couple key preachers like Peter and Paul and their ministry and what they did out there in the world. Well, we left off in Acts chapter 18 last week, and we had this whole talk about how Paul was told not to be fearful and to keep on preaching. And then in verse 12, Paul continues his mission work. It says, verse 12 of chapter 18, but while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, this man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. So they didn't like Paul. They didn't like Paul preaching, and they tried to arrest him and get him into trouble for it. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of right or wrong or of a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. Paul says, look, if you had a legitimate concern, a legitimate crime that I've committed, I could deal with this, but this isn't legitimate. He says, but if there are questions about your words and names and your law, I'll judge these things. And they drove him away from the judgment seat. And then they take a hold of this guy, verse 17, named Sosthenes, and they beat him instead. So instead of punishing Paul, they beat this guy Sosthenes, and they beat him in front of the judgment seat. But Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. This whole chaos kind of ensues. Basically, Paul is always persecuted when he's preaching, if you get anything from this passage. But then verse 18 is thrown in here. And this is quite interesting. Verse 18 of Acts chapter 18, this is the verse we're going to look at today. It says, now Paul, when he had remained many days longer, took leave of the brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him, and Paul first had his hair cut at St. Crie, for he was keeping a vow. Hold up here. We just read over this a lot of times, right? I do remember in Bible college, it was on a quiz, where did Paul get his hair cut? It was St. Crie. But besides that, from a trivial standpoint, this is thrown in there. In the midst of Paul's journey, because he doesn't stay there very long, because then they leave and they go to Ephesus, and St. Crea was like a two to three day sail from where he was. He leaves Ephesus, and then he goes and he heads down to Antioch, verse 22. But verse 18, out of the blue, throws this in there, that Paul went to St. Crea and he got his hair cut there because he was keeping a vow. And then it just glosses over it. And we're like, hold up. What is this talking about? What is this vow that Paul took? Why did he do this? What is going on? Now, there's a lot of discussion about this. If you pull up any commentary on the book of Acts, there's a few different opinions presented here. The predominant opinion, and I kind of lean toward it, is that Paul took a religious vow, probably like a Nazarite vow. Now, you might be thinking, I don't know what that is. In the Old Testament, there was a vow that people would take called the Nazarite vow. 
Some people were set up to be kind of Nazarites from birth, like Samson and so on. But a Nazarite, um, there are special things about their hair not being cut, and then maybe this is the end of Paul's vow with that. Um, someone who was a Nazarite would not touch a dead body. They would not consume any amounts of alcohol whatsoever. That's why when you read the story of Samson, he's such a big hypocrite because he doesn't keep his vows. There's a thought that Paul had taken on a Nazarite vow and that this is kind of the end of it here in Sincrea when he gets his hair cut. Okay, that, that would kind of make sense. There's other beliefs that maybe he is taking some other kind of religious vow that we're not too familiar with that involve cutting hair, but either way, this is called a vow, and it involved his hair being cut, either to finish it or to begin, you know, this vow. Why would he do that? Think about that. That's a very interesting thought, because Paul is preaching against, a lot of times, you know, following the old law over following Jesus because there's a lot of Jewish Christians who were forcing new converts to keep Old Testament laws. But yet, here you have Paul taking a vow. Now, there's a theory that maybe Paul did it because he wanted to better reach the Jewish people, kind of the become all things to all men. And that would make sense, you know what I mean? He, if everybody else in that community that he's with is engaged in some kind of a vow, you're going to take it too so that you can fit in and, and work and, and do that. You know, you visit a, a historical Buddhist temple in Japan, they're going to have you take off your shoes and put on some special sandals. You don't go, well, I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not going to do that. No, you do that, not make a scene. You fit in there, and then you're able to maybe engage with people, that kind of idea. So maybe Paul is trying to fit in with a certain culture, and that's why he's keeping this vow. Or maybe there's something else there. I have a thought about this. Why would Paul take this vow? Well, thinking about the life of Paul, over and over again in Paul's ministry, Paul emphasizes self-control, self-discipline, and, you know, being consistent and dedicated to the work. Whether or not it was a Nazarite vow, I think a big reason why Paul took this vow is because that's what disciplined people do. Think about it. Doesn't it fit with Paul? Paul liked challenges. Paul liked setting goals. Paul liked having self-control. Paul liked to do things that others maybe wouldn't do, like, hey, he could have got paid to be a preacher, but I'm going to be a tent maker at the same time. You know, he always steps outside of the box a little bit and sets a challenge before him. Now, this challenge here, I'm sure, had spiritual implications. It allowed him to reach different people, and it connected him better to maybe, um, you know, following God and so on. But disciplined people, like the Apostle Paul, do things like this. Disciplined people live disciplined lives. And you see that here with Paul. We just gloss over this verse like, oh, he kept a vow. Moving on to Achaia. No, think about this. The apostle Paul set some kind of an example here for us where he chose to make some kind of a vow, probably like a Nazarite vow that kept him from engaging in certain behaviors and there was symbolism there regarding his hair. It required commitment. It required self-control. It required self-discipline. Are those good virtues? Yes, they are. Whether or not we take a vow is, is mute in this whole point. But self-control, self-discipline, they are virtues that we should try to build up in our lives. Paul took a vow because that's what disciplined people do. And then think about all the great things that Paul did. His self-discipline that he had enabled him that when people tried to kill him, kick him out of cities, almost stone him to death, that he quit? 
because he's disciplined. See, people, if he was undisciplined in every, act, every other part of his life, if he was the person who always cheated on his diet, if he was the person who could never be counted on, if he was the person that was always late, if he was the person that you could never ask for help because you know you couldn't depend on them, I guarantee it he would have given up every time persecution arose. But that's not Paul. Paul was disciplined in every aspect of his life. And we just have him passing, hey, he took this vow. But he shows a character trait of him here, that he was a vow taker and he kept his vows. So whatever vow it was, that doesn't even matter. But the fact was, he made a vow and he kept that vow, even down to making sure that he didn't cut or did cut his hair the way that it was supposed to be done. Now, we're far removed from that in our culture. That doesn't make sense, some of that, uh, a cut of cutting your hair, a vow of some kind. But the idea that he made a commitment, set a goal, and stuck to it showed us something about his character. Disciplined people, ourselves included, can do and accomplish amazing things. That's why you have passages like Proverbs 25, 28 that says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. On the other hand, a man with self-control, man or woman with self-control, is like a strong fortified city is the flip side of this. You won't fall. You won't crumble. You won't give in to sin. You won't fall back into those old addictions. You won't fall into all those different temptations because you live a disciplined life. Discipline in one area of your life results to discipline in another. I guarantee it, all of you that have ever maybe started a workout plan where you got up early morning and worked out, I guarantee it that you said, you know what, I was more productive that day. Why? Because you disciplined yourself in one area and it transitioned over to discipline in the workplace. Spiritually speaking, discipline in one area of your life transitions into discipline in another. You work to be, have self-control in this area, you'll find you'll have self-control in all areas. Self-discipline and self-control are virtuous behaviors that are very much biblical, and we see them in the life of the Apostle Paul. So our theme for the year is renew. We're talking about renewing our strength, renewing our confidence, renewing our zeal and our drive and our ambition for God. Renew a sense of self-discipline in your life. I bet you this last year and a half with some of the upheaval and things that were going on, it was easy to be maybe a little bit more undisciplined, to maybe fall back into some old sins, to have some negative habits in our life, maybe some sinful habits in our life. Let's renew a sense of self-control. Let's renew a sense of self-discipline where we set goals, we stick to those goals. We say we're gonna do something, we do it. We, there's a behavior we know that is wrong, we stop engaging in that behavior. The Apostle Paul lived a disciplined life and look at all the amazing things that God did through him. Oh yes, verse 18, just in passing, it's just Paul keeping a vow, whatever. But no, there's something there. There's something about Paul's character that shows through here and I think you see in all of his ministry, the way that he was able to endure all that hardship, the reason he didn't give up and quit is he constantly renewed in himself a sense of self-control and self-discipline. The lesson is yours this morning. In just a moment, Curtis is gonna lead us um, in, in a song. Let me encourage you that after we close here this morning, if there's anyone here that, that needs help living a disciplined life, you wanna pray to overcome certain temptations, you wanna get plugged into a Bible study of some kind, talk to me, talk to one of us here. We'll be glad to help you in any way that we can. But right now, let's all stand together and let's sing the song that was selected.
Thanks again for listening to West Visalia Audio. We hope these messages have helped you grow and inspired you to take action. Be sure to check in each week for more on-the-go content or visit our YouTube channel to watch the live video. Thanks for participating and God bless. Thank you.